Welcome to the HCSS Podcast. My name is Noah Wanabo, Assistant Analyst with the Higgs Center for Strategic Studies and your host today. I'm joined by Dr. Alexander Klimberg, Director of the HCSS Cyber Policy and Resilience Program, as well as Director of the Initiative and Head of the Secretariat of the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace, and the author of the book, The Darkening Web, The War for Cyberspace. Today we're talking with Dr. Klimberg about the work of the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace. Established in 2017, the GCSC is a multi-stakeholder commission of experts from civil society, government, industry, and technology, working to develop norms and policies to guide behavior of both states and non-state actors in cyberspace. So what are the underlying problems with the stability of cyberspace that the commission is seeking to address? So it's becoming apparent to pretty much everyone that the internet is increasingly under threat. And one of its principal threats arises from the behavior of state actors who are being increasingly aggressive and assertive in cyberspace and trying to advance their own goals. Um, For that reason, we consider the current state of cyber instability to be unsustainable. We think that it will eventually result in a major crisis or conflict, or indeed changes to the internet governance system that are not sustainable for the long run. So for that reason, we have decided to accompany the current initiatives in international peace and security, such as being conducted within the UN group of governmental experts, but also within regional fora, by setting up a multi-stakeholder group that will be able to address some of the outstanding issues in international security. It's important to emphasize that this is a multi-stakeholder group because in international security, normally governments are, of course, the predominant actor. Unfortunately, they are also very often the only actor, and that's where things get slightly problematic. Cyberspace is a multi-stakeholder domain, meaning it relies on the participation of the civil society, the private sector, and government. In that case, international security, although it's primarily being negotiated by governments, has an urgent need for input from non-state actors. This is one of the things we're trying to accomplish with the GCSC, is by being able to provide a multi-stakeholder voice international security discussion, help advance it, both within the current configuration with the UN and similar bodies, but also by providing new ideas of how this could be tackled in the future. Can you explain a bit uh, who the different stakeholders are uh, in cyberspace? The stakeholders in our commission and the members of our commission effectively make up the different stakeholders of cyberspace that are relevant for the wider question of what is international cybersecurity. So we have concentrated on those individuals with backgrounds that we think are most appropriate. That includes individuals with background in international security. So for instance, we have the former ministers and generals who have experience in both negotiating texts on international cybersecurity, but also planning offensive cyber operations. We have representatives from the technical community who have storied reputations in basically building and managing the internet. We have individuals from the freedom online and civil rights community who are concentrating on protecting the individual users' liberties. And we have those who have storied academic reputations, some of whom have helped define the entire direction of international relations in recent years. So our commission is made up of very notable individuals, all with different backgrounds, but we think these backgrounds are all very useful and suitable in providing input into the international security discussion on cyberspace. And so the commission has a two-pronged mandate, right? So establishing norms and policies. Uh, Can you briefly explain uh, what the goals and challenges are of both of those? The current focus of international 
actors in the area of cybersecurity is that on defining so-called rules of the road of behavior of states. So states are not necessarily being asked to sign up to a compact or to a legally binding document. Instead, we believe international law applies fully in cyberspace and outside of cyberspace. And therefore, it's the question of interpretation of international law. Within that context, the UN group of governmental experts whose work we closely shadow has embarked on a mission of defining norms of state behavior in cyberspace. Some of those norms include very specific recommendations, such as the non-interference with critical infrastructure, or for instance, avoiding interference with the cyber defenders. But we think that we need to go further. We have therefore developed our own norms that we think both state and non-state actors should adhere to. These include, for instance, the protecting the so-called public core infrastructure of the internet, protecting the integrity and accessibility of the internet for all. We are also looking at subsidiary norms that are derived not from the technical infrastructure, but from the use. So for instance, we've also defined a norm to protect electoral systems. At the same time, in between those two extremes, we're looking at a number of related norms, such as, for instance, asking all actors to avoid contaminating commercial products for malicious use in the sense of engaging in bulk exploitation of consumer devices for offensive purposes. So we are exploring right now six to eight norms that we hope to finalize in the near future. And then we also would like to embark on the next step of our journey, and that is defining additional policy initiatives that would be useful to push the international cybersecurity narrative forward. Those policy initiatives really are innovations in international security architecture as it's related to international cybersecurity. So while the work of the UN group of governmental experts is now set to continue, it will do so under a slightly reduced mandate. And there's been a common appreciation that more and new initiatives are needed. Some of these initiatives are quite radical. Microsoft's Geneva Convention for Cyberspace, for instance, raised a lot of eyebrows when it came out, but is now being slowly modified into a way that it looks like it'll be adopted. And we're looking forward to hearing some of the proposals that have now been drafted on the basis of this original initiative. We are drafting our own proposals, the own way how the international security architecture can tackle cyberspace and cybersecurity in the future. And we're not ready to present those results yet. But what we can say is we do believe that the multi-stakeholder principle is as equally important as the principle that states have a responsibility for managing affairs, international peace and security. Both of these issues need to be given equal consideration when discussing what modifications to the existing security architecture should be necessary. Exactly what those modifications are, how those work together with other initiatives currently being put on the table, these are issues we'll be discussing in the next year. And so within the GCSE, you've now um, proposed two norms of these sort of six or eight that you're considering, right? So one of them is the call to protect the public core of the internet. Uh, and then the other, I believe, was the call to protect the electoral infrastructure. So what are the threats that they currently face uh, that these norms are setting out to uh, prevent? As I mentioned before, those two norms are quite obviously quite different from each other. And they can be seen as to being two rather extremes of where our deliberations have taken us. The one is towards protecting the general availability and the integrity of the internet for all to use. And the other is to focus on one very specific application of the internet in an area of public life that we consider to be critical. Taking the first example, protecting the public core infrastructure of the internet, that derives from actually a long-standing Dutch interest in trying to establish 
an effective safe zone where all actors, government and non-government, are forbidden to engage in any type of activity that could be destabilizing. The core of the internet includes, for instance, the domain name system. The domain name system is commonly referred to as a telephone book of the internet, and its maintenance is critical for the proper functioning of the internet. There are many different infrastructures that are connected with the domain name system, and we consider that to be one example of the public core of the internet. A number of criminal actors, but also some state actors, have repeatedly interfered with different aspects of DNS. By doing so, for instance, it's possible to reroute traffic, impersonate websites, and generally speaking, get an edge over your opponent and conduct something called man-on-the-middle or man-on-the-side attacks. So there is actually a practical use for messing with basic core aspects of internet infrastructure. But our point is, is that that under no circumstances should be permissible. That the overall costs to the internet as a whole would be much higher than the individual gain to the individual governments that is justifiable under international law. And we do not think that there should be any circumstance where interfering with the basic core infrastructure could be admissible under state sovereign interests. Um, what work is currently in the pipeline and what are some of the upcoming steps for the GCSE uh, for those who aren't familiar with it? So we are probably reaching the, uh, the end of a large deliberation on norms. And the norms really themselves only really serve as practical examples for what we consider to be the wider question of what the principles of cyber stability are. When we understand the principles of cyber stability properly, we are also hoping to progress further and making our own suggestions on innovations within the international security governance framework. This might seem to be an interesting way to approach it. Sometimes you start with principles and then you proceed to governance and then you, you might end up norms. But by doing it this way, by starting with the most practical aspects first, we're concentrating on that which is effectively most reasonable and most obvious. All the norms that we have decided to pick up are, in my view, emblematic for wider challenges that cyber stability face. For instance, the mass exploitation of consumer products, or for instance, the tendency of manufacturers to ship products with default passwords switched on, or the increasing uh, problematic uh, state of cybersecurity where legal persons, i.e. companies, don't even take basic protective security measures, even though there's obviously a need for that. A lot of these issues reflect different aspects of what we consider to be challenges to cyberstability. By mapping out what the most obvious challenges are, we're extrapolating from that, and we'll be able to provide ourselves with nine to 10 principles of cyberstability. Those nine to 10 principles of cyberstability will, in turn, Will be, will be used to formulate our recommendations, uh, what the next step should be in the international security governance architecture. And I need to point out that whatever our recommendations will be regarding international security, they're not going to be posed as an either or suggestion. So we fully support the re-engagement of the UN in the international discussions on cybersecurity. We also think the UN GGE should be given all the support it can handle. But there always is the question, what else do we need to do? One thing is clear. We have been, for instance, engaged in certain discussions for now exactly 20 years, and the problem hasn't gotten less serious. So while we can still continue doing what we have been doing so far, and also getting the incrementally good results that we've produced so far, it is clear that we have to do something more. And that's what we're hoping to achieve with the commission. And so just for, let's say, the average person on the street, what are some of the, I guess, alarm bells that you would raise uh, 
on why they should be sort of worried at all? What are some of the, the issues that affect the average person? And how do you think these norms uh, might address those? Well, these norms will be able to address the average internet use on many different levels. To give you one example, the norms that were already agreed upon with the UN group of governmental experts stipulate that in peacetime, there shouldn't be any interference in critical infrastructure. That might seem to be an obvious point of departure, but in point of fact, it wasn't actually illegal so far under international law to engage in operations that might inadvertently, for instance, turn off your lights. And that is something which obviously many governmental actors have considered to be a useful thing to do. So over 32 governments are now in the position to deploy offensive cyber means. Another two dozens are already in the process of building up these capabilities. And in point of fact, catastrophic cyber attacks can be waged by a relatively small group of people with a relatively small budget. So it is important that we underline quickly now, while there's still time, what types of offensive action we consider to be completely unacceptable in peacetime. The problem is that in wartime, we actually have a very concrete understanding of what can be done. So the bizarre situation is when the so-called international humanitarian law applies or the law of armed conflict, as it's known, we have a very exact understanding of what you can target, what the acceptable cost of population would be, what is proportional, etc. And we don't actually have that for so-called below the threshold activities, activities that do not actually reach the threshold of warfare. So a lot of things that are currently happening right now, which disrupt the average internet experience and also effectively make your data more vulnerable to exploitation, is currently occurring in a realm where international law is not sufficiently well understood. This is why we need to have these norms, is to make sure that there is at least a political agreement on what can and cannot be done, but also so we can further understanding of what effectively the risk factors are in cyberspace. So in cyberspace, there's sort of this popular conception that this is a lawless area where anything goes. Uh, governments aren't even that involved. Um, so how would you sort of clarify that and how these norms might actually have an effect? So cyberspace is truly not the Wild West. There are rules and there are agreed norms of behavior, but they're not very visible to the average person. So we have to stop thinking of cyberspace as being just like a utility where you simply turn the knob and the water comes out. We have to think about it more as it more of it as a as like the financial system where the ups and downs of the stock market do have a direct impact on your mortgage and therefore all of this has a direct relevance to our lives now the problem is is that cyberspace is somewhat like the financial system but also like the world sees does not really have one particular group of actors that dominate it completely and there's not a single institution that can be said to be in overall control that's why we have currently come to understanding that the current system is best served by something called a multi-stakeholder approach the multi-stakeholder approach is not only a reflection of what's practical in that the civil society writes the code for cyberspace, the private sector owns nearly all the websites and the cables which it depends upon, and government can really only listen in and blow things up. It also is a reflection of a political ideology, that namely the internet is too important to be in the control of every any single one government. The notion behind that simply is that the internet is the information domain. It's where all our data resides, where our opinions are formed, and where our preconceptions basically are given birth. So if we contaminate the internet and if we allow the internet to effectively be micromanaged at a level that some governments would find quite admirable, then we are effectively allowing our deepest and most treasured information 
to be influenced in a way that we cannot yet perceive. This basically would have not only direct impacts on how we vote and how, how we buy things, but also how we live and dream and play and act for now and in the future. That's why, in general, Western societies and liberal democracies consider the multi-stakeholder approach to be the best way to keep this ecosystem free from excessive manipulation or control. Because if governments are given the final say of what information is good information, if they are the ones that effectively decide what's on the internet, what's not on the internet, um, down to the level of what, for instance, individual news is cast in what individual way, that of course we don't actually have any free speech anymore. And this kind of very subtle threat to free speech, in other words, also to democracy itself, is one of the most significant challenges. Unfortunately, it's very hard to see these things coming because there is a slow rising tide and not a tsunami. So the average user has to be aware simply that there is this threat and the waters are rising and that we have to be aware that the internet that we have come to depend on today could radically change its form. The only way, however, to be aware of that is to be constantly vigilant and see what the direction is that all these current policies are taking us. And that's the only way we can effectively not only defend the multi-stakeholder model and non-state leadership and managing internet resources, but we also can push governments to show a bit more restraint in their activities in cyberspace. Because if they don't, the outcome is going to be traumatic. Either we'll have an internet that effectively makes 1984 look like a joke, or we'll have a situation where all-out cyber conflict becomes not only a possibility, but a likelihood, and will cast us back to the Iron Age in the 1920s, depending on how gloomy your scenario is. Both scenarios are pretty bad, and both scenarios are ones we would like to avoid. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks very much. And if you'd like to learn more about the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace, you can visit the website, cyberstability.org. And you can also follow the GCSC on Twitter at the GCSC. And you can stay up to date on our latest podcasts and other work from HCSS, following us on our social media channels on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or by subscribing to the newsletter via the website, 